Do you like wrestling trivia? Then check out the five-star match game, the Pro Wrestling Quiz Show. I'm Joe Gagney, and every episode, I grill three contestants with five rounds of power-packed wrestling trivia. We have over 30 evergreen episodes in the archives covering WWE, AEW, Japan, Mexico, and much, 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 much more. Play along at home and check it out today. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome to a bonus episode of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungy here on the Voice of Wrestling Podcasting Network. We're bringing this to you on Wednesday, right before Dynamite, because Mother Nature is a bitch. My name is Tyler Fornes, and with me is my co-host Fred Moreland, who unfortunately did not get to watch the show live because of that ugly bitch. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing all right. Yeah, uh, 70 mile per hour extended winds is uh, is a bad time. Um, Here in central Kentucky, we got hit hard by... uh, by some windstorms, and I did not have power from Friday afternoon through uh, what it is Wednesday uh, through Tuesday afternoon. Uh, I'm not used to like civilization. I've just been living in a hotel room for five days. Try to watch the show hunched over a hotel desk in a shitty hotel chair, um, and uh, I still have a knot on my back. <laughs> so I gave up after uh, like two hours and uh, just finished watching it last night. And we are glad you were able to watch it and glad you have power. And these are these shows, are we're going to try and get them a lot closer to the AEW pay-per-view call time just because they're more timely. But when Mother Nature attacks, there's nothing you can do. Let's get right into it, Fred, because I, I want to start with the pre-show. Did you watch the pre-show? I did watch the pre-show. I always watch the pre-show. And um, I do think we need to discuss just the overall structure of the pre-show because they definitely tried something different. They did, uh, and I, I'm very curious as to why. And we we know the WWE style of pre-show. You get a match, maybe two, but their pre-shows are two hours, and it's mm-hmm. essentially like a roundtable talk show. This was kind of a hybrid of that model and what AEW has done in the past, where they load up a lot of matches. They had one match. They gave it a, a good amount of time. I want to say did. about 16, 17 minutes, and that was the Lucha Brothers and Mark Briscoe versus the Varsity Athletes. But it was Renee Paquette monologuing for the most part. And she had a couple people join her. She had uh, Britt Baker. And then RJ City had a bunch of segments who RJ City all of a sudden looks like an old man now, which we can also talk about. And I kind of liked this structure. I thought it worked. But I also don't think it's their optimum as far as entertainment value. What I want to pick your brain on, Fred, is do you think that they believe that this model might have actually sold more pay-per-views. Um, I that's kind of my assumption. Uh, because anything else doesn't really make much sense to me. I can't imagine uh Tony Khan being a let's put a lot less wrestling on my show kind of guy. Um, that just doesn't strike me as his uh his deal. Um and you know, I thought this was I don't know, I don't think it worked particularly well as far as entertainment stuff. Um, I love RJ City. I love his AEW stuff. I think that's uh, consistently funny and uh, has been getting better over time. 
Um, I thought he came off as like a bigger dork than Todd Pettengill here. And that's rough. Like it was not, generally speaking, it was not terribly entertaining. And it really featured far more of his, uh, this is really awkward gimmick than the, this is funny gimmick. And uh, I don't think it worked particularly well over such an extended period of time. Yeah, it, it all came across very odd and very weird. Um, but I'll say this. I, I thought it was effective in the method that they went about it. I wonder if they're going to revert back to what they used to do and try and get some high-octane matches on the show because I'll never forget the Forbidden Door pre-show. That was four matches, in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. And they were all good to great. And that got me really excited for the show. But I wonder if that format specifically is for the New Japan fan. Because the New Japan fan itself, you don't get mid-match promos. You don't get hype-up segments. You get... The show. Wrestling. It is a sport. And AEW is a sport more so than other wrestling promotions in the United States, but they still have the American wrestling theme of, hey, we're still going to do promos. We're still going to do video packages. And I'm very curious to see what kind of analytics that this shows. And I I think I'm going to, if I'm able, to, I'm going to try and get on the next uh, uh, media call for Tony Khan. I might, I try and ask this question. I also want to ask him about, Football analytics and if he relates any of that to wrestling, because I find that fascinating, too, because if you don't know, Tony Khan is the director of analytics for the Jacksonville Jaguars. This this pre let's talk about the match, at least, Fred, the the match itself, I thought was great. Um, yeah, it was a very Mark, fun match. Mark Briscoe is over his absolute hell. Uh, mm-hmm. And you, you can imagine, I I wish we could have gotten to see him this over in this company with, when Jay was still alive. But we it's i'm gonna try not to look back like that he's over now he's having fun and he's this is obviously his way of of still coping because you can just tell he's a ball of fire the lucha brothers were great the varsity athletes here were great and smart mark sterling is just the perfect scummy shitbag this was a lot of fun yeah this was a very fun match i went three and a half on it um pretty damn enjoyable um and all the guys are very good at what they're doing obviously the lucha bros are stars mark briscoe i mean i still think you should push him as much as you can on AEW TV and just see what happens just keep moving him up the card um and the varsity athletes are all like they're all terrific in the ring they're all very talented and um you know mark sterling i think is uh like i think when you have the discussions about the best you know, manager in wrestling these days. I think he doesn't get brought up enough. I think he's terrific what he does. And uh, yeah, this was a really enjoyable match. Well structured, a lot of fun. Um, you had some good uh, teases of a uh, heel win uh, along the way, although it was obvious that they weren't going to win. And uh, I thought it was a lot of fun. I liked this quite a bit. Same here. I gave it three and a half. I really like the entrance where Smart Mark Sterling's just over the PA. Oh, yeah, the NBA-style thing. Oh, it was great. It was great. It was slimy. And then Smart Mark Sterling took the the package pile driver from uh, Penta at the end. This was was a lot of fun. Um, If you didn't notice a little touch, um, Pentagon had the 
uh, and Phoenix had San Francisco 49ers inspired gear. And on the mask, you had 85 for George Kittle because they nice. have that kind, they have a relationship and they're both big fans of each other. I Let's did not get catch, in- catch the jersey number there. Uh, I hope you're looking forward to uh, Pinto wearing that suit for the rest of his life, much like he's been wearing the Joker one for like as often as he can for the past three years. Um, I, I don't think that he's going to be wearing that one too often. I feel like that one is going to be specifically for when they're in Northern California. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, I well, just know how, how he uses the, the Joker one at every opportunity he can. So, yeah. All right. Now let's get into the meat of the show, Fred. Um, I want your opinion. Do you think it was a good idea to start with Ricky Starks versus Chris Jericho? This is not the style of match that AEW is traditionally let off their pay-per-views. They're usually high octane style matches this card really didn't have a great match to kick off the show so they ended up going with uh ricky starks versus chris jericho do you think it worked yeah i mean i thought the crowd was really into it um and they had a great reaction and you know they don't always do like you know often they don't do the the fast-paced opener to the pay-per-view cards. In fact, if you go back and look, like, you know, full gear, the opener was uh, the Jack Perry Luchasaurus steel cage match. Uh, before that, all out was the casino ladder match, which was a spot fest, but uh, had the MJF finish. Um, and then uh, Forbidden Door opened with uh, Jericho Guevara and Minoru Suzuki against Eddie Kingston, Wheeler Yuta, and Shota Umino. Um, you know, double or nothing was Wardlow killing MJF. Um, you know, they don't really stick to a particular pattern here. Uh, in fact, this is probably more akin to what they have been opening. Cause if you go back to last revolution, the opener was Eddie Kingston and Chris Jericho. Um, this felt like, you know, a normal, you know, they, they don't do the, the must have be a spot fest between mid carters kind of thing here. Um, and this seemed like a perfectly fine opener as far as match structure. And I thought I liked the match too. I thought the match was fun. Um, it had one of the best counter sequences I've ever seen in professional wrestling where uh, Jericho has been setting him up for the code breaker. He beat pretty Peter Avalon on Wednesday's dynamite with the code breaker to reestablish that move. Not only did he hit the code breaker, he hit Ricky Starks mid spear with the code breaker. Yeah, that was cool. And I so. thought, I thought that was phenomenal. And then we, I the second best counter I've seen in a long time was Ricky Starks just putting his arm up and blocking the Judas effect. It's yeah. just, it's so simple and it's brilliant because yeah. that's all anybody really has to do. Hey, I could just take it with my arm and not in my fucking head. And it yeah. was, it was great. I gave this match four stars. It, I still think it's a weird way to open the show considering what AEW's tracker has been. And uh, I'll evolve my opinion a little bit kind of how you brought up past experiences that makes a little bit more sense but ah this this was just a, a great match and now this this was the kickoff to the theme of the show which was homegrown talent going over and mm-hmm. that continued here with the final burial jungle boy jack perry defeats christian cage this match was weird but it wasn't weird in a bad way i i, I want your opinion here why in the world is Jungle Boy coming out in jeans like he's ready to go to war and he's still in his little fucking booties? Oh, you gotta have your wrestling boots on for the traction, obviously. But wear different ones. Like you're trying to be serious. Like may- maybe it's just that I'm a little Joe Lanza pilled because I'm he's brought this up multiple times, but dude, 
just just wear shoes. It's okay. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like it's wrestling. You know, you you go back and watch so many street fights, and people will be like trying to look all hard with everything, wearing jeans and coming out, you know, like in their street clothes. But then they'll have like I don't know the the rocker style armbands or whatever. You'll see that sometimes with some guys, and uh, I don't know. That always it's just funny. Um, I don't think that's that the I didn't even notice the boots, to be honest. So, yeah, um, it's. But I tell you, one thing I did notice was uh, how much this crowd hated Christian. Oh yeah, Christian was uh, public enemy number one. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was terrifically over his heel here, and uh, I, you know, honestly, you could put him as high on the card as you want right now. I think uh, once he comes back from hell. In fact, I guess kind of hope he. Cuts a promo about how he was in hell when he saw Jack Perry's dad, um, or something <laughs> like that. Um, and uh, but yeah, he's just a fantastic character, and he can really work when he uh, when he needs to. And uh, he did here. Uh, I like this match a lot. I went four stars, four stars on it. Uh, I liked how they built eventually to the uh, concerto finish as they had to, which was basically the basis of the feud. Uh, and they really played that up good in the uh, video package before the match. Um, and I like this. I like this a ton. Um, I, I thought um, the casket dropping into the, the area on the stage was was funny. I don't know that that's really what you want to go for, but I mean that's the worst thing I can say about your match. You you did a good job. Which Look, it's it's the final burial. It was exaggerated, but I thought it worked well with the tone of the match. And I want to give Christian a lot of credit here because he did not by any circumstances, have to do everything he did. One, he came out in the all-black, which mm -hmm. the, the funeral-style attire I thought was The really tactical good. turtleneck. <laughs> That's perfect. Um, he took some gnarly bumps here. Uh, the shovel with with the, the snare trap submission with the shovel in his oh, mouth. Yeah, yeah that um, sucked. The... I, I, there's a there's a big tope on him uh that knocked that him was down. that was what i was trying to think of the the tope um just he did not have to take everything and he took the concerto which yeah. is the whole story of the match um i thought jungle boy got a little too dramatic with both the concerto and closing the casket i thought he should have been a little bit more hey fuck you buddy and just yeah. slam it but at the end of the day that's a minor gripe i thought this was incredibly well done I want to see Jungle Boy finally take another step and become a a singles a wrestler. Man. Yeah, that just be Jack Perry at this yeah. point. I want I want to see more. I want to see him do what he has mentioned so far this year is going for and claiming a singles title in this company. It, it's this was a really good feud, considering there was the triceps injury to Christian and they had to hold off this long, I thought it was very well executed. I said last week that I wish they would have given this a little bit more build because it felt a little rushed for mm -hmm. this show. But at the end of the day, they nailed it, and I gave it four and a quarter. Yeah, I went straight four on it. I, you know, just a lot of fun. Really great stuff on this. Um, going back one match, I just want to notice something. I don't recall the last time I saw Chris Jericho do a Death Valley Driver, but he did in his match with uh, Ricky Starks, which uh, popped me pretty big. Yeah. Um, uh, this show was filled with that kind of stuff, and it got even yeah. better with this match. That the House of Black 
defeat the Elite to win the AEW Trios Championships and become the fourth champion in the history of the title. Fred, this is professional wrestling. This was incredible. And we can talk all we want about the hokey bullshit that the House oh, of the Black House of has. Yeah. Oh, and the vignettes and the spookiness. But when they're in the ring, bell to bell, you can't complain about these guys. These guys are great. And they're I think great. it's gonna be it's gonna be a really nice addition to this trios division. And I think we need to get the young bucks back to the tag division. We need Kenny Omega doing single stuff, especially with him. Hold on. Almost sneezed there. Um, having the IWGP US championship. Jeff Cobb just called him out on the anniversary show of um in New Japan on 3-6. This was great. Julia Hart taking that V trigger. Like she is House of Black just as much as these other guys are. She is like her role here is just excellent. And then the finish was awesome. They it really got you to believe, oh my god, this is really the finish. It was definitive. Um, I, I can't remember what Brody King calls that like um power slam like claw driver. Uh, is that the Dante's um, Inferno? Dante's Inferno. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. Um awesome stuff. Uh they really think... made him made uh Birdie King look like a million bucks. Uh I mean I, it's not like he wasn't working hard. He did he did a great job. But like the the Bucks and the uh Omega bumped like hell for him too. And he just looked like a world killer. Yeah, um I thought it was really cool that we got Kenny Omega facing off against um, knockoff Kenny Omega, Buddy Matthews to start the match. I thought yeah, that, that was nice. a really cool touch. Um, the crowd was just insane for these guys. And I gave this five stars. This was pro wrestling. This was, I want to kick the living shit out of you because I want those titles. And it was, it was great in every sense of the word. Um, so much can go wrong in a match like this because you have to, it's six people mm-hmm. in in AEW, so AEW's got that kind of tornado tag house style rules where they're not super strict on, oh, you got to be holding the rope and stuff. Now, they they kind of let things go in that aspect as far as traditional tag match. So much could go wrong. So much could be lack of chemistry. They killed it. It was great. And this is one of the reasons I love this company so much. Um, just... This is a five star match, and it, it's not even to come close from my match of the year because we're gonna we're gonna get there, believe me. Yeah. But this was everything that you could have wanted this to be and more. Yeah, I I love this match. I thought the closing stretch was particularly awesome. Um, I thought that uh, everyone was just on point in this match, um, and. I love the structure of it. Everything went well. Uh, I went four and three quarters on it. You know, if I have to stop and think if it's a five-star match, then it's not a five-star match. So just a touch shy for me. But still, like, this is a must-see match. Uh, an absolute uh, banger of a match. And uh, I don't know. I disagree with you. I hope that they keep this feud going so we at least get at least one more big match and maybe some, uh, some you know, singles or tags coming out of it to kind of you know, keep that going um, and to, you know, continue the feud just because I know these guys can do a lot more together and I would love to see that. I'm not going to complain if they keep this feud going. Based on what we, 
based on what we saw from uh, Don Callis's Twitter, I don't think this is going to keep going because Don Callis had Kenny Omega in a suit and that kind of inferring that we are back in business going for singles gold. I think, and I could be wrong, I think we might be getting Kenny Omega challenging MJF uh, come May for the AEW world title. That's my thinking here. Oh, that is what happens. That would be pretty amazing. Uh, these two haven't faced off in, against No, I don't think they've touched, no. This is probably the biggest match Tony Khan can book right now is MJF and Kenny Omega. And with that being the case, well, you've got about 10 weeks to build it. And I think I think it could be pretty easy considering the talent of both of these guys. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> All right, let, let's move on. And I thought this was a very pointed point in the show. The cool-down match was the AEW Women's World title match, which... I'll be honest, I had a lot of intrigue about, but I wasn't really looking forward to it. Jamie Hayter ended up getting the win by rolling up Ruby in a in a crucifix after exchanging multiple roll-up attempts with her. Um, and then Soraya was also oh, involved in the match. The match itself. I was very impressed. This was a good match. This could have easily devolved into... Um, complete and utter bullshit. It was good. Soraya was fine. Ruby Soho was fine. Well, Hater, hold on. I thought Ruby Soho was great. That, like, I thought Hater was great. Um, Soho, I thought Hater was great too. I, I mean, maybe I'm underselling her a little bit, but I didn't think she was necessarily great. I thought mm. Hater was great, and the other two played their parts well. Um, but what I found interesting was. They beat Soho in a kind of banana peel-esque fashion. It didn't feel like a definitive win for Hater. And then she turns. Yeah. They could have just pinned her ass. And then she turns, she gets all her heat back, and it doesn't matter. It almost makes Hater feel like she just kind of squirmed her way into a victory here. And then you have Ruby Soho joining uh, Soraya and Tony Storm. But I, I can't remember who mentioned it. And... I, I'd give them credit if I did. It felt like Ruby was not quite sure what way she wanted to go. And it didn't fully click with me until I heard that. I'm like, okay, she's trying to decide what way she wants to go. And then she ends up deciding at the end of the match after losing. Like to me, that, that makes a little more sense. What, What did you think? Uh, I thought the match was actually quite good. I went uh, three and three quarters on it. Um, I thought that they did a great job. Soraya was competent. She did what she needed to do. And I thought that both Hater and Soho looked great. I thought Soho was just really laying her stuff in and it all looked really good. Um, as far as the post-match angle, um, you know, it was not bad, I guess. But it was, you know, I, you can make the argument that she decided, you know, after the match to do what she did uh, in kayfabe. Um, I think the big question is how are they going to portray that moving forward? Are they going to address it at all on TV or are they just going to be like, Nope, she's just spray painting people with those. Um, the storyline around this is still kind of meh. It, it's not great. Um, and, you know, 
I guess we'll see how that progresses moving forward. But obviously, they're not done with the uh, Jamie Hader versus the Invaders storyline. Yeah, I'm I'm intrigued to see who ends up joining Hader and Britt Baker because if you take a look at some of the homegrown women in this company, Riho makes some sense. Mm-hmm. Sheeta. Sheeta. Where that? Okay, let's talk. About she's it. had a she had a finger injury for a bit. I read, and then she uh, she's been back in Japan doing some stuff. So okay, because she was a huge part of this angle at first, and, and then she disappeared. She just, yeah. Okay, so a finger injury. Okay, I I can understand it, but at least explain what's going on because yeah, she was the antithesis of this angle. Yeah, she was she was central to the angle. She may have been, like was virtually in what became the Ruby Soho position before the turn. And, um, and I think that, uh, you know, explaining it at some point, I don't recall them doing that at all. So maybe that's on me, but I just have no memory of them addressing it in any way. Um, yeah, but they do that once in a while in AEW. They just, uh, something happens and a uh, person falls into the abyss for a short term. Uh, but I do expect she to come back and be a major baby face in this storyline. Uh, if it all works out, I think it'll end up being great. But if initially taking Sheeta out of it just kind of feels disappointing. What didn't feel disappointing, Fred? Um, I don't know if I mentioned I went three and a quarter. I, I thought it was a very competent to good professional wrestling match. This was professional wrestling. This is everything you want. Texas Deathmatch. Oh, yeah. Hangman, Hangman Page defeated John Moxley. Oh, my God. These two took utter destruction and made it into something beautiful. And Hangman Page got the special entrance. He got the red light. It, it kind of felt... Um, Red Dead Redemption-like? Yeah, I mean, Ghost Riders in the Sky is a fantastic song, so... Yeah, it was it was awesome. And then as Moxie's coming out, he doesn't look as amped as he usually does. He looks like he's ready to kill. He looks like he's ready to murder. And I thought that was a really perfect way to set the tone. You've got Paige attacking him right away. The spot of the match. Two spots I will never, ever forget. Moxley getting Hangman Page in that triangle and goring out his forehead like he's Abdullah the Butcher or Homicide in Peak Ring of Honor. Like, he's just going to town, and he gets oh, yeah. the blood splatter all over oh, his Oh, God, chest. I freaked out when that happened. Oh, that, that was perfect. They brought out the bricks, which I thought were incredibly well done, and the finish of this match, where Moxley had brought up, when he brought out the bricks, he brought out the biker chain. Hangman gets the um, buckshot. Moxley does the fighting spirit. And... <laughs> oh, excuse me. They sneezes um, on him. <laughs> that would have been funny. Um, especially with all the blood that would come out, too. Um, Hangman gets gets him down again. And then wraps the chain around his neck. Throws him over the, the rope. And literally is choking this man to death. And Moxley has never tapped out. And he tapped out here, making it that much more convincing. This was a brilliant layout. Everything in this match, the barbed wire raking across each other's back, the Oihara moonsault, the stomping of the hand in between the bricks. This was all phenomenal. Five stars. 
this is one of the easiest five stars I've ever given. Oh, this was a slam dunk five star match. Uh, I, I know that uh, podcasting is a visual medium, uh, but I am going to hold up for you, uh, Tyler, my notes from this uh, match where I just freaked out and just started writing in all caps. Uh, like, and it came out looking like I'm the Zodiac Killer. Um, yeah, like this match was fantastic and just terrifically brutal. Um, and if you're going to go like do this style of match, this is exactly how you should do it. Um, they just had a fantastic, um, I, I can't praise it enough. It was just really great stuff. Um, and Paige came out looking like a killer. Uh, Moxley, you know, is at the point in his career where you can put over a guy and not have an issue, obviously. And he really put over Paige here um, to the point where I think Paige is, the, you know, you mentioned Kenny Omega earlier. I actually think it's going to be Paige is the next challenger or pay-per-view at least challenger for MJF. Um, excuse me. I I, uh, I thought this was awesome. Just a truly, truly amazing match with five stars on it. Thought about breaking the scale, but again, if I have to stop and think about it, I'm not going to do it. So, Yeah, think, thinking's for rich people, Fred. We don't do that here on The Good, The Bad, and The Hungry. Um, I, I can't say enough about this match. Um, I, I really think... Like you kind of said that Moxley can put him over. I don't think this hurts Moxley at all. Oh no, it doesn't. It doesn't. He looks like a total badass coming out of this, anyways. Uh, but he he didn't he put him over for sure. Um, like that's uh that's a real putting over kind of thing. Um I I do have a funny story from this match. Um this I actually stopped watching the pay-per-view on Sunday uh before this match, and I told my wife I would save it for her because I know she likes Hangman. And oh, I did God. not consider just how bl- she does not like blood matches, and I forgot to consider the John Moxley on pay-per-view aspect of things. <laughs> and uh, I think about right around the fork spot, she looked at me and she was like, why did you save this for me? <laughs> and, uh, look, I was right. Uh, the match was awesome. I just, you know. Uh, my, wife yeah. was, my wife was watching the pay-per-view with me, and she went up... Um, right before the trios match and um she comes down to say good night and i tell her i'm like hey i'm glad you didn't stay down here she's like why i'm like um there was a lot of blood and you would have been really grossed out in how they got there oh yeah it wasn't pizza cutter nick gage bad but um if you're not if you're not a wrestling fan you're like what the fuck man what are you doing but this was this was perfect um and it really carried over into this next match, Fred. The next match was dead on arrival. Uh, Wardlow defeats oh, yeah. Rojo for the title. It was a you, you good talked match. about a you talked about a death spot earlier with the women's match. This was more of a death spot. This the crowd was dead, and Wardlow came out to a decent pop. After that, it it just felt like they were going through the motion. And it's not like they weren't over or anything. It's just the crowd was expended. They were done. Mm-hmm. Um, and how about Wardlow getting the win on Samoa Joe with Coquina Clutch? That was a nice touch. That, it was a very nice touch, especially because it came right after Joe. Joe is such so great at being like a cocky dick, and um, he he set up the power powerbomb symphony and did the whole like conducting thing with his hands, and goes to herk up Wardlow, and Wardlow slips out and uh, immediately gets the Coquina Clutch in. Um, I, I like this a lot. It really played into the, they were tag team partners that knew each other. Well, um, 
Wardlow screaming, die, as he has the Kikita clutch in. Uh, sure was a thing. Thank you, professional wrestling. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I like this match well enough. I know it uh, three and a quarter on it. Um, I mean, look, if this is the worst match on your show, or if I actually thought the next one was a little lower my star ratings, but if this is, you know, the second worst match on your show, your show's doing just fine. Yeah, it's, I gave it three and a quarter. I wanted more from this match, but it's, it's hard to be mad at this match. It was solid. Solid is, is honestly a great way to, to put it. It was, it was, like, it, had, it was solid with a good finishing stretch. I, I do think they could have done better if they were set up to do better, but they were just in an impossible situation. So, yeah. Next up on the card, the four-way for the AEW World Tag Team titles. The Guns defeat the acclaimed Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett and Dan Housen and the AEW All-Latin Champion Orange Cassidy. I thought it was the right decision to pin Dan Housen. Yeah, he's the weakest guy in the in the group, so that's fine. I, I did not like the idea of putting the guns over here. And I know this was just a gateway to get FTR back. Okay, like I won't be I'm not that upset, but I really thought you had a chance to get a hot act like Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett the belts and let them run with it for a couple months. Um the acclaimed are still over beyond belief, so I don't think you have to worry oh, about them fine. losing heat yet. I think they're fine. But Jarrett and Lethal have been so much fun. And especially Jarrett. Dude, this guy's in his 50s. We complained for years about TNA pushing him too much. Yeah. Now we want him to have a push because I know, right? It's, it's just different now. It's been He's, a long time since I read it, but I, I read on a forum someone was like, Jeff Jarrett <laughs> would have been the greatest mid Carter ever, but he went to TNA and he insisted on being pushed as like a world beating world champion which did not fit what he was at all. Um, but he, he is tremendous in this mid-card, mostly comedy kind of spot. The, the shitbag heel who eventually, you know, regularly gets his comeuppance, but still thinks he's fantastic. Like the, openings, uh, like the opening in the match was him, you know, I forget what exactly the move was, but like doing a strut and then turning around and being shocked and disgusted that Orange Cassidy's doing his lazy version of the strut. That's fantastic stuff. And if that was, if that's what we remember Jeff Jarrett for, I think we, instead of like the, the reigns of terror of the aughts in TNA, he'd be remembered so much more fondly. Um, and that's kind of a shame because he really is talented. He's always been talented. Just, yeah, this was, this was a lot of fun. Uh, there's a lot of good comedy in this. This was perfect for the pre-main event spot. Um, and uh, both Dud and Sting, man, they were looking good. Had some nice suits on, looking nice. Yeah, it was uh, it was very well done. Um, the FTR return was perfect. The FTR return was great because the second you knew the guns were going to run their mouths, you knew something was coming because you're not getting pay-per-view time to talk unless there's something, something coming. Yeah. And FTR coming back was cool. Um they got a couple months off, which honestly was well-deserved after the year they had last year. And we're going to get FTR versus the Guns for these belts. And I would assume, and here, here's another prediction. FTR, Young Bucks 3 at double or nothing. Yeah. 
that would be pretty <laughs> awesome. Um, I do think they're going to eventually do that, and uh, yeah, uh, that'll be awesome when they do. All right, let's let's get to perhaps the greatest match I've ever seen: MJF <laughs> defeating Brian Danielson in a sixty-minute Iron Man match for the AW World Title. This was brilliant. Oh, it was perfect. not o- not only did like there were questions like the kayfabe questions was oh can mjf go 60 minutes can he hang with brian danielson no he hung with brian danielson and what was what really impressed me was how much mjf put brian danielson over in this within the context of the match and he had he did so by winning Mm -hmm. the multiple tap outs where it doesn't actually count showing that oh yeah danielson's getting me and then they go to overtime. Like, I don't know how you want to attack this match because there's so much that we can talk about that was just brilliant here. Oh, man. Uh, look, this match was just fantastic. And, of course, with an hour of it, um, you know, you think I, I – I took, like, five notes. I just sat back and enjoyed this. Um, we got the MGF gets the low blow to get disqualified so we can get two quick pins thing that I think everyone thought was going to be some kind of a variation on that. Um, I thought that um, – I don't know, man. Like, I, I, I can't say much beyond MJF was terrific and Brian Danielson's probably the best wrestler to ever step in the ring. Um, like, that's all I can think of. Um, these two just tore it up. Um, it was fantastically structured. I thought commentary was awesome on it. Uh, Bryce Remsburg, especially in the overtime period, did such a great job as the referee. Uh, I know some people are like, oh, I don't want to. They have some idea that like you should never know anything about the referee. And as someone, you obviously are a NFL fan. Are you going to like look at me dead ass and tell me that you, you wish you didn't know who Ed Hockley was? You know? Yeah, like you look at the NBA, you got Scott Foster, who is uh, noteworthy enough that plays in the big storylines. Like when he ejects, uh, oh shit, that player, uh, Barnes for the Raptors like a couple nights ago and got him ejected with for nothing, like 30 seconds left. Like I'm not saying these things are good for the league, but like it, it's not the idea that WWE came with, like came up with 15 or 10 years ago or whatever it was that like, you shouldn't even notice the referee uh, as a, as a completely across the board thing is a bad idea because referees with personality are good things when they play into things correctly. And Bryce Remsburg played into things correctly here. Uh, I thought he, he, he did a great job. Um, and uh, I thought he played a key role in the overtime of this match, which was the greatest overtime I've ever seen in pro wrestling. Um, like just brilliant stuff here with uh, MJF, you know, getting right on the verge of losing, getting caught cheating so many times. Um, going to go, going to hit Danielson with the uh, championship belt and uh, Bryce Remsburg looking right at him and saying, go right ahead. I don't care. I'll disqualify you and you'll lose the title, you idiot. And uh, like that was a fantastic spot. And then, of course, it all ends with MJF getting his cheating in and doing it successfully and not getting caught and winning um, as only he could. And look, this was just the structure of this match was great. It's hard to do an hour long match and not have any dead spots. And I was never once bored in this match. I thought it was a fascinating bout throughout. 
And um, I, you know, I don't know what else to say. I broke the scale for this. I went five and a quarter. Uh, I don't think it was like one of the the very very tippy toppest matches I've ever seen. Like in terms of like the top five or whatever, but it's got to be in the top hundred easily for me. Um, just tremendous stuff. Yeah, this was incredible. Um, not only it, so I want to talk about Remsburg for a second and his brilliance because you mentioned him. Like, go ahead, hit Danielson with the title. I'll disqualify you. So he gives him the belt. He pulls out the dynamite diamond. Russell, like 60 minutes with that diamond ring, which is basically like a class ring mm-hmm. in your trunks. I have to assume he he picked it up at some point. I would hope that it was slipped to him so he didn't have to like deal with that and hope it doesn't fall out or whatever. Hopefully. Yeah. Um, but two, he put he, he puts it on uh, while Remsburg isn't looking. We yeah. all know it's there. And yeah. while Brian has him in the label lock, Bryce sees it. Yes. Pulls it off. And the visual of MJF, like, oh, yeah. no. MJF's <laughs> facial expressions are some of the best ever. Like, he's just great at characterizing in the ring without doing the the thing that WWE loves to do right now, which is just outright cutting promos um, during matches. And uh, MJF is just so good um it's hard to overstate just how talented this guy is um yeah it's not just talent fred it's the mind for the business Let, let's exactly well, that's, that's what i consider part of his talent to be clear yeah. but let's let's go through the finish because at this point remsburg has taken off the dynamite diamond we're in overtime mjf gets a finger on the ropes the second he gets the finger on the ropes he immediately taps out yeah one that putting Brian over essentially and two confusing him, making him think he's one when he has it. Then he, he slithers down to the apron and finds the oxygen tank before overtime started. He medic, was getting oxygen. We're giving him oxygen because he couldn't. While Danielson was, was like celebrating. The thing because was they did hang with Danielson for 60 minutes. This yeah. So, and they so did the, they did the fake tap out spot right at 60 minutes too. Right. And when time expired, he tapped out again and Danielson was celebrating thinking he had won. Yeah. And then as Danielson goes to find MJF, boop. Yeah. You, you can't see it. You can't see him. Like Remsworth didn't see it. Then he goes in and then he gets the LaBelle lock. And this was very well done too. Cause Danielson's oh, never tapped done. out in this company. He's yeah. passed out. He's never tapped. And there's the same thing with John Moxley. Um, it, it's they do the Hulk Hogan one, two, three, and he starts hulking up, and MJF's panicking, and then he just latches on tighter, and you get the tap out. It was so well done, so great in every sense. And I there is one thing I want a victory lap here, Fred. We talked about how like what MJF could possibly do to end up getting pinfalls. I just want to point out I was right. Um, I mentioned the Brock Lesnar spot with Kurt Angle. Oh, yeah. He just whacks him with a steel chair and gets a couple quick pinfalls. MJF did the same thing, except he looks at Bryce Remsburg, kicks Brian Danielson in the balls, and because they have the no time limit, no like rest period, no rest he period, gets yeah. two quick pinfalls. And I thought that was such a brilliant way to work to the character and prevent Danielson from taking multiple real falls. Um, this was... This was so brilliant. And MJF, nobody can talk about this guy not being a great wrestler. 
This is a 26 or 27 year old man 26. who in th- who in three or four years will already be one of the best professional wrestlers to ever live. This is we're looking at somebody truly special here. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we anybody who's quantifying it, well, he's this. No, this is just a tremendous professional wrestler. He can go in the ring, he can work story matches. He can work high-octane matches. He works to his character brilliantly. He's one of the best talkers to ever live in, when it comes to professional wrestling. MJF is a top three to five wrestler in the world right now. You're talking about him, Okada, Osprey, Moxley. He is on that level, if not at the very top. Yeah, man, he... Uh... Man, just imagine what MJF would be like if he went through the performance center, though. <laughs> I'm sorry, I literally spit over on my computer. Um, yeah. Um, oh, buddy, uh, MJF is just a born natural for this. Like he, he gets this business at an age so young, and like anyone else I can really think of. Like, he's just a complete natural. I'd have to go back and, like, study 70s Ric Flair, I think, for anything comparable to this because he just gets every aspect of the business. One thing I will mention here, because, okay, listen, the match was fantastic. I went five and a quarter on it. What what was your star rating? I I did not break the scale. This was a five-star match, and it is one of the two contenders of, for me for match of the year with Kenny Omega and Will Ospreay, something I honestly didn't think could be touched. Yeah, I, I'm going Okada Osprey still, but this is my number two, I believe. Um, okay, it's been talked about a lot online, and some people are deciding to defend it. Um, MGF throwing the water on the kid should not have happened, um, or tequila, whatever it was. Uh, that's that's like a line too far. If you want to jaw jack at someone or tear up their sign, that's fine, whatever. But actually, like you should never do anything that makes physical contact with a fan as the first person, especially a kid who's just sitting there. Um, and I thought that was bullshit. Um, if this was a plant, I mean, I guess that's one thing. It doesn't sound like it was a plant from you know, people in the area talking about it online. Uh, but that's just completely unnecessary. Um, I will go, I'll, I'll put that out there. And I saw some people like, oh, the kid's going to remember this the rest of his life. And it's like, I don't think anyone goes to a wrestling show to like, you know, be the butt of a joke, especially as a child, you know, for, for like the rest of your life. It's kind of, it's, it's bullshit. I'm not saying like, oh, we got to strip the title off him or something, but like, it's just MJF crossed the line there and that should not have happened. No, it, 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 it shouldn't have happened. I get why MJF did it because he's just so entrenched with his character. Oh, I, and- I like, yeah, the guy doesn't break character, especially once he's out on TV. Uh, you know, like the little thing, I don't, I still don't even know if it was intentional or not, but where he kind of dropped the championship a little bit and immediately played into it by yelling at the fans for making fun of him. Um, like right before the match has started, um, like the guy doesn't break character, but you know, at the same time, you know, you gotta, if you're Tony Khan, you gotta pull him aside and be like, all right, let's, let's pull it back in a little bit, <laughs> you know, cause this just can't happen. No, it can't happen. And, that it sounds like based on everything we know, they did right by the kid. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, that's more important than anything. They oh, yeah. did right by the kid. 
Yeah, they definitely pulled the uh, here's some please don't sue us merch um, <laughs> thing. Um, and like they took care of him. And like, obviously, this isn't an AEW thing. And I doubt that, like, I can't imagine MJF went to Tony Khan before the met, you know, before the show. I was like, there's going to be a kid out in that crowd and I'm going to dump shit on him. Is that okay? Yeah, I, I assume this is just a in the heat of the moment MJF decision that was really stupid. Um, and hopefully, we don't see him do anything like that again. I don't think we're going to end up seeing him do anything like that again. At least I hope not. Yeah. Um, but this, I think we need to talk about this as one of the legendary shows of all time. Um, the other two shows that we could really talk about as far as being, there are three shows. Matt, no, you know what, four. Uh, eventually I'm going to end up with ten. But um, <clears throat> the uh, The big thing here is, this is an all-time U.S. pay-per-view with When Worlds mm-hmm. Collide, One Night Stand, WrestleMania 17, All Out 2021, and Forbidden Door. How would you rank those shows, Fred? Shit. Um, okay, so it's All Out They're, 21. Here's the weird thing. They're all different. Oh, yeah, they are. Um, okay, so this this show, Forbidden Door, All Out 21. 20- one and WrestleMania 17. Those are the ones you want me to rank. Yeah. Ah, shit. I'm going to have to look at these real quick. Uh, give me one second. Um, I, I will vamp for time though, by noting that, um, you know, AW is at this point, they they've had the greatest run on pay-per-view of any company in history, unless you want to maybe count the like peak of the Okada Tanahashi era of new Japan shows. Um, like, I just don't think anyone else really compares. Um, and, uh, you know, like, it's just amazing stuff, really, um, that they've been doing. <sighs> Forbidden Door was, uh, I thought, a great vibe show. Uh, but it also didn't have, like, a real top of the match of the year list kind of match. Um, including, and, like, I like Osprey, Orange Cassidy, but I also am a bit lower on that than a lot of people. Um, all out was another like that's a lot of vibes, uh, but it also had some truly fantastic stuff on it. And you had um, CM Punk's return in a good match. Um, WrestleMania 17 um, had some very good stuff on it, including was that the first TLC? Um, oh goodness, that's uh, a no. That a, was that was TLC two. Two okay, all right. I can't remember. I knew it was one or the other. Um, yeah, these are all, these these three four are all all time shows. But just in terms of quality, like I don't know, I might put. And there's a whole recency bias bias here, so like let's consider that. But um, I'm thinking that I would have to put Revolution first, just in terms of the show quality, um, and then I think I'd go for Ben Door. And um, and then I think uh, all out, and then WrestleMania. Yeah, because uh, uh, looking back at my it... note, oh, no, just to get this in real quick, looking back at like what I watched from WrestleMania seventeen, like I remember liking a lot of stuff, but the only thing that I thought was truly like super high level was that TLC match. Um, I thought stuff like, you know, Angle Benoit, I did not like as much as people at the time like. This was me watching really? years later. Yeah. I, I have it on Cage Match. I got it as a 7 out of 10. 
So I loved that match. Um, I have an eight on Undertaker Triple H, and I have an eight on Austin Rock, uh, which I think was a little too convoluted uh, to tr- be a truly great match. And also, I mean, it's it's Steve Austin turning heel. Like, yes, that's a hell of a moment, but at the same time, it's uh, a disaster, you know, for the long term. Um, yeah, uh, so that's kind of where I would go, I reckon. I think if I were to rank these, I think you have to put Revolution at one. I had three five-star matches on this show. like that's, I nearly did. Yeah, three five-star matches. That's incredible output from any singular show. Hell, if a company has three five-star matches in a year, They're doing that's damn good. pretty damn good. Yeah. Um, two, I, I, I'll be honest, I'm putting ECW One Night Stand. I thought the wrestling was good. Everybody worked really hard, and the atmosphere is something you'll never be able to duplicate. Yeah, it's that's mean. another like like the vibes are what makes that special. Um, it, and but the work was good too. Um, you had like um, Masato Tanaka and Mike Awesome in that hardcore match. That was great. Then um, there was more that just awesome stuff. That's the one match I'll always remember. And then you had like Bishop seething up in on the balcony, which was just great. Um, yeah. All Out is next. Um, that was not only was there great wrestling on the show and a legit match of the year with the Lucha Brothers and um, Young Bucks uh, cage match, but you had multiple outside of the ring things. The Minoru Suzuki bit, Adam Cole and Brian Danielson debuting back to back. The vibes of that show were phenomenal. Um, and then. The- I think I've come up uh, with maybe the only show that I would put. Ooh, there, I, there's two shows that I might put above this one all time. Um, and this is all off the cuff. I'd have to really do proper, you know, looking back and all that. But it'd be Wrestle Kingdom 10 and 11. So the 2016 and 2017 ones. I think those are of the same level as this in terms of just match quality. Wrestle Kingdom 11 was phenomenal. Um, the one, the arguably the second best match on that show was the hair match with Goto and Suzuki. Just all-time stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I would put uh, When Worlds Collide at four, and then I would... I've I would never actually watched When Worlds Collide. I can't believe I'm submitting uh, that to the public, but... You know what? I, I've seen it once, and it was I was kind of distracted. That would be a fun bonus episode where we talk about When Worlds Collide, because that, that's an all-timer. I believe it's on YouTube. I need to look it up. Um, yeah. One day I'll have enough time. But... Yeah, that this was right. This was an all-time show, and uh, absolutely dynamite. Let's uh, let's run through dynamite real quick if we can get it. I know we have um, Alex Reynolds and Josh Sil- uh, John Silver, the Beaver Boys, going up against John Moxley, and I think it's Claudio Castagnoli. And then we have um, Jericho and his sons, Daniel Garcia and Sammy Guevara, against Top Flight and AR Fox. Um, we're looking like we're going to have a fun dynamite. Yeah. It looks like a good show. Um, yeah. And you know, the, the coming out of pay-per-view period for AW is often better than the heading into pay-per-view period for dynamites, I think. So this could be a really special show. Um, a couple big picture things I want to talk about before we do go just in terms of pay-per-view one boy, anytime anyone says I, AW doesn't tell stories. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just sit down and think about the show and all the stories it told and wrapped up. Um, mm-hmm. 
it's you know aw doesn't tell wwe stories and like if you like wwe stories that's fine i typically don't because of how they structure them and approach them i think yeah. that they're very well it doesn't matter what i think that's not the point of this conversation i'm not gonna like sit here and like lecture to people about why i think wwe is flawed um right now maybe a future time if i'm in a bad mood uh but like they they did such great storytelling on this show um you know you've got for god's sake i mean just it's an amazing show it's one of the best ever um you know jericho starks uh fantastic storytelling there uh you know to set it up uh, I actually really still really like that Stark segment where he tricks Jericho basically into doing the match uh, because Jericho's central uh, character uh, trait is that he's egotistical as hell. Uh, and he beats Jericho at his own game. He reverses the Judas effect in one of the coolest spots I've ever seen. Um, Jack Perry, Christian Cage, fantastic storytelling there. Um, you know, the storytelling within the House of Black uh, Young Bucks match like of them countering each other's stuff and everything. It was perfect. Um, Adam Page, John Moxley's story, again, wrapped up perfectly. And MJF Danielson, uh, the story of that match and the story of their feud was just done with a bow on it. Um, this company tells stories. It's not, they don't do, you know, if you, if you think they just put on matches every week that uh, have no purpose, like you're not watching the company. I mean, that's all I can say. Um, I, I it's disingenuous know. if you're saying that this company doesn't tell stories. Yeah, like it. That there's really no other way to put it. It's disingenuous bullshit. Basically, like, yeah. And there's so much bad faith talk about AW in general. Um, again, a couple weeks ago, a new member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network, uh, the Gentleman's uh, Wrestling Podcast, was on. On the, uh, it's probably still on YouTube. They did Jesse Collins did a fantastic look at like why there is this conversation surrounding AEW uh, in general, and I think he really broke down like the different sources of it with Rich Krejci. Um, I still love that show. Uh, thinking about it, um, and it's either they just don't get it, they they're stuck in one frame of reference, or they're being carnies. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know what else to say really. Yeah, it's if anybody says this company doesn't tell stories, you just can stop listening to them immediately. It's and really we can also simple. we can also stop with the Chris Jericho doesn't put anyone over slash only hurts people's careers because yep. this is um, Jericho. I mean, not that Moxley was like a nobody, but Jericho really solidified Moxley as a central star of AEW. Uh, Jericho really helped make Orange Cassidy a meaningful star. And now Ricky Starks has all the momentum in the world, I feel like, uh, coming off of beating Jericho. So that's three right there. Um, you know, I, it's, I don't know how we got to this point where we thought that, like, he doesn't get people over. Um, but it's, I mean, he's great. He's really great. One of the best ever. And this conversation we seem to always have around them is just preposterous. But yeah, it's because they don't like his politics. Now, I don't either, but the guy can work. What can I tell you? <laughs> Look, it, from bell to bell, uh, when I'm watching wrestling, that like 
that that's what I care about. I mean, there are obvious exceptions. Like if you're uh, a sexual predator, I'm going to care that you're even getting opportunity belt mm-hmm. belt. Or yeah. talking about a guy who's who donated to Donald Trump. We're yeah. not talking about a guy who like um, groomed young women. Like it, it, we're talking about something different. You cannot. This is a situation where you cannot like the guy and still appreciate and like him belt about. Like you can do both. It's okay. Yeah, and if you um, if you want to, it, it's it's a dark road to go down when you do the. Um, yeah, I'm going to not like someone because of their personal opinions. Because if you look at anyone that was wrestling before, I don't know, 2000 at a minimum, it's uh, it's not great. No, <laughs> not great it's not. Again, and that is our show. Uh-huh. Yay! What a what a happy ending. <laughs> because you get a bonus episode of us this week. We are going to be go- coming to you on Friday with our Dynamite review and talking more big picture stuff in the world of all elite wrestling. But we want to make sure we got you our full thoughts. If you want even more detailed thoughts from me, you can check out the um, AW Revolution results and review column that I teamed up with uh, Sean Cedar and Jesse Collings on. And you can always catch more of me. Uh, with all of my um, NFL NFL draft and Vikings content over at Vikings Wire. If you are listening on the Voice of Wrestling podcast feed, please go and subscribe to our uh, solo feed, The Good, The Bad, and The Hungy. Give us a five-star review and help us continue to grow the show so we can make sure that we get all of the AEW news and notes to everybody around the world. We want to continue ranking in countries like Turkey because um, we think that's pretty damn cool. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at the Real Forno and at the Vikings Wire. You can follow Fred on Twitter at Flagrant Wrestling. R for Wrestling, not W. He is Ted Turner, not Vince McMahon. And you can follow the show on Twitter at Good Bad Hungi. Thank you very much for listening here today. Have yourself a great day. And if you haven't watched it yet, go buy Revolution and watch it right now. Oh man, that's All worth the money, show. man. Top tier shit. <laughs> Have a good week, everyone. Or a good good couple days, I guess. I don't know what I'm doing. Bye. <laughs> hey, everybody. My name is Jesse Collings, and I want to tell you all about my show, The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. On The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, we do a thorough analysis on the biggest issues and trends within the pro wrestling industry. We talk a lot about pro wrestling media. We talk a lot about fan culture and wrestling's place within general pop culture. And we talk about the broader influences that are shaping the way we discuss and analyze the pro wrestling industry. We've had some of the brightest minds in the pro wrestling intelligentsia on the show, including WrestleNomics host Brandon Thurston, both Rich Krejci and Joe Lanza from the Flagship Wrestling Podcast, Trevor Dame from the Through the Years Podcast, and a whole lot more. This isn't a show for hot takes. It's not a show recapping the latest episode of television. This is a show focusing on the biggest topics in pro wrestling and doing a deep dive on the real stories behind the surface level analysis you might find elsewhere. The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd really appreciate it if you gave us a try. Thanks.